0: Listen, honey. Hey, fam. I'm very excited to introduce you guys to my guest this week. I have Dr. Steven Mendel and Sam Mendel. and We are talking about the benefits of ketamine to treat depression. I have so many questions since I've heard about this. We're asking, why isn't it FDA approved? What kind of side effects does it have on people? What are the testimonies that it's worked? And how can it help anybody out there that is dealing with depression? So coming up on Listen, Honey. Dennis, the other day, you really wanted me to watch The Marriage Story, the movie, right? Yeah. And I had heard a lot about it, and I wasn't really turned on about it because I basically heard that this movie was about divorce. And having gone through divorce myself, I was like, why would I want to remind myself of of all those steps? But you really wanted me to watch this movie.
1: uh, It's a really, it's a weird movie. It's like a play. It's um. Boring. There's no action. It's not a Michael Bay or you know what I mean? Like right. there's gonna be explosions or anything like that and people are just talking.
0: And, Why um, did you want me to watch that?
1: Well, I knew there was a lot of parallels between <clears throat> I think like what, three years ago you got divorced or mm-hmm. you started your divorce or something like yeah. that. And um It's just very sad to see you go through that. I've never I've never who you were then is totally different from who you were now. Hmm. Um just it just tears people apart going through that process. Absolutely. Right? And then uh, you, all the litigation, it just yeah. changes you, right? And uh, I I couldn't believe it. I, like, night and day.
0: Yeah, well, what's yeah. crazy to me is you being my brother watching me go through that. Because when I was going through my divorce, I really did, I thought, a great job of hiding what was really going through my head because I'm on television. So I'm able to turn on and perform. Every single day that you saw me on The reel while I was going through divorce, in the morning I would be waking up absolutely in tears um, and in chaos in my head because of what was going on and then I would be getting off of set, literally wiping the smile off my face and then crying some more in my dressing room. And so to hear you see me go through that, that was crazy because I thought I was hiding it well. So when we watched The Marriage Story, it's for anybody who either is thinking about going into marriage or has gone through divorce, either way, it's very it's very telling of why divorce is so painful and why you should hold a place in your heart for people who have experienced that breakage of marriage because it is unlike anything that you've ever gone through and it, it is um, painful. And what you brought up to me, Dennis, that I never actually circled around to think about for myself is that... I went through a very serious depression during my divorce and I never really acknowledged that it was a depression until I felt that heaviness on my chest when I was watching the movie, when I felt tears brimming at my eyelids, every scene that um, the two people couldn't find a reconciliation, the memories that would come back on the things that we said to each other, the memories that we said when we exchanged vows, like... And in, in it, it was a physical thing of like a dark heavy weight on my brain, a heaviness on my heart, a feeling of, can I get through this? And then it made me think while I was watching the movie, wow, Jeannie, did you go through depression and you didn't even know it? And it made me start asking all these questions about depression because we know, I know today that 16 million Americans suffer with depression, but you don't always know when it's clinically depressed. Is it when are you clinically depressed? Are you just going through a phase in your life? Can you get out of it? Am I out of it? Did I heal properly? All these questions. So Dennis and I have opened up the conversation of depression and mental health, and we started looking at what do people out there do when they're depressed. We hear about medication. Well, obviously, I know about you know recreation. I know, drugs. like you
1: trudge Stuart. Like personally, I saw like your even little things like where you. You start picking up smoking. Yeah. Right. That was crazy. Yeah. Like, you had to smoke since so she was like thirteen or something. Yeah. <laughs> she started smoking. Wow. Well, um, but I knew that, the, that it's, just it's, it's just stupid little things like that, right? And and now the the day that the week that I moved into your home, I didn't know that actually your ex husband moved out. Yeah. That crazy. The right? very like, week
0: that you the, coincidentally moved in, he yeah. moved out. So it was a weird exchange of energies and also just you watched from day one it and settle in. We went
1: like I, I, I think I took you, I dropped you off somewhere, in downtown LA, and then you told me like, oh he's he's not here anymore. Like we're we're getting a divorce, and that was like heavy for me too. You like, were the first family member I, I It was really cool too, you know. Of course. Know, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it just turned out that we weren't compatible. But the point of today is I want to open up the discussion of depression, and I want to. I want to remove the taboo-ness of not talking about it or actually understanding it better so that you can identify when or if you know somebody who's going through depression. Because for me, having gone through my whole divorce and not even recognizing it myself and having my brother bring something to my attention where all of these physical feelings came back in and made me question, wait a minute, did I go through that and not even reserve time and space for myself to actually heal or actually acknowledge what that was? How can I, what about those people out there who don't have support? like me, who don't have the ability to be self-aware like me. Um, And depression ranges in so many different ways, I just wanted to get a better understanding of it. So Dennis, you introduced me to the work of Dr. Steven Mendel. So we have in the room Dr. Steven Mendel and Sam Mendel, his son, who works with him in his business. Welcome guys, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having us, yeah. This was an amazing conversation to be listening to.
0: Really, why is that?
2: (laughs) Because you so described depression. The weight that you felt on your heart, the weight and the, the heaviness in your thinking. Yes, the heaviness so in your thinking. It's so vividly right. accurate. It's so, so much to people describe it. And you're, you're, you had a real depression, and that's a lot like what depressives have. Now try to imagine that, Jeannie, when you have no idea why it started. You have no idea what caused it. Yeah. And you have no idea when or even if it will ever end. I, I can't imagine. And that's what depressives, unlike people like yourself. Right. Who have a, a, a situational depression. Right. Go through. Yes. There's depression. that's not situational.
0: Yes. I know the reason why I was able to see my depression is because there were times where I wasn't depressed in my life. And so I had that contrast to compare it to. Now I'm thinking, what about the people who never had that contrast, who never had a consistent amount of time of not being depressed to understand that they are depressed? Because I know people who I believe are depressed, but they do not believe they de- are depressed. And and I wonder, gosh, what are about those people who actually don't have the other light to be able to see the dark? Do you know what I'm saying? I do okay. know
2: what you're saying. You say 16 million people. 16 million people are sufficiently depressed that they carry a diagnosis of depression. Mm. In addition to those, there are millions of others who function very well. They are, as you put it, you were able to put on your your professional face during the day, during your work. These people do that too. Right. And they do function well. I believe not nearly so well as they would if they weren't depressed. But they are able to... To trudge on, to shoulder on, as the British say, to go forward. Sometimes with gritted teeth. Sometimes they don't know, but they know that food doesn't taste especially good. People rave about the mm-hmm. the pasta or the, you know, the zucchini or whatever it is. They say, what's the big deal? And people hug them, and they feel like they're they're. In a trap, not in, a, in an embrace. In an embrace. Mm. And they hear music. And it's, God, it's noisy. Not, oh, that's beautiful. Right. And um, they get no pleasure. Uh, we've had patients who are masterful at what they do, and they're getting much of the bounty that life has to offer, and it's not touching them. They have houses. They have cars. They have boats. They have pretty partners. Mm. And really glitzy parties and it leaves them cold.
0: Yeah, that's I'm picturing I I have no a prototype of a person in every degree that you've described, especially because I work in Hollywood. Of and course, so you're working on sure. long hours on sets and you spend great quality time with people and the second that camera turns on you see a different side and yeah, I yeah, know exactly cool. what you're describing.
3: Depression is even more prevalent, I think, in creatives and in people who start or run their own company, executives. And Why people. do you think
2: that is? These people tend to define themselves, who they are in the world, by their success. And their success is often out of their control. They can only do their best. Right. They can't give themselves the Grammy or the Oscar or the Emmy.
3: Yeah, it's not just their success. I think just even their identity is what they do. There's not a lot of separation there. I think it's also so competitive and demanding that it's a culture of being on always and being working around the clock. And, you know, I come from an acting background and I know a little bit about that and literally having to respond to text emails or whatever last minute auditions, self-tapes, meetings, whatever that you really are expected to be available and ready to jump at a moment's notice 24-7. And that's, I think, you know, it leads to burnout. It's exhausting. And there's a lot of pressure there. And also a lot of what you do or don't do really is you. Uh, You're not working. You might have a team like your agents, managers, lawyers, whatever. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to step out onto that stage. You're the one who steps in front of that camera. And if it goes well, the whole team did great. If it doesn't, you're a flop and they're moving on to the next talent. So, yeah, it's a lot of pressure.
0: Totally. And so, I wanted to have you guys here because not only do I want to open up the discussion of depression but also talk about all of the different ways that people have been able to find relief of their depression, especially the controversial ones. You guys have a very interesting way that you have proven has helped people with depression, helped them to cope with it. So let's talk about your discovery.
2: We use ketamine to treat depression. Ketamine is an FDA-approved drug. It was approved in 1970. It quickly became the darling of anesthesiologists and others who needed to provide pain relief and sedation. It became the most widely used anesthetic in the world, literally. In the 90s, uh, it was discovered that this same medicine in much lower doses Relieved depression. Now it took a long time for people to realize that, because it's so counterintuitive that an anesthetic would improve mood. Right. Doesn't make sense. Right. But things don't have to make sense. It doesn't make sense that doesn't it make sense that heavy things fall faster than light things? But actually, they don't. Right. They all fall (laughs) at the same speed. Right. Ketamine cures. I shouldn't say cures because it's not permanent. Ketamine lifts depression it lifts PTSD, it's amazing for suicidality. It just does it. We're still working on why, we have some very good ideas, but I'm not gonna take your time with that. Ketamine really works quickly, safely, and in a shockingly high percentage of patients to lift their depression.
0: So this is insane that we're having this conversation because the my first memory of ketamine is in the streets i know uh-huh. special k right, right? i, I d- definitely have you know had my parties where that's been introduced to me and i'm like whoa that's horse right. tranquilizer that's what i heard well, that's is that accurate thing. still yeah, so, wh- so, so, wh- ketamine, so
3: what's the difference yeah so ketamine has um, <clears throat> multiple um, identities and okay. it depends on who you ask sure. its primary purpose and what it was really created and most widely used as is an anesthetic Um, it is also used in veterinary medicine, and that's why a lot of people go, oh, that's a horse tranquilizer or a cat tranquilizer. True. Um, Some people would even say, why are you giving that to humans? It's like, well, no, this is a human anesthetic. (laughs) Mm. Um, And then there's special K, all the same drugs still, different forms.
1: Ideally, you use this uh, to put somebody down so that you can work on them. Is that
2: In in anesthesia, anesthesia? it's used primarily today as what's called an induction agent. You use uh, ketamine to put people to sleep and then you keep them asleep with other agents. Got it.
1: Okay. Typically, mm-hmm. things they and can breathe.
2: But I, I want to. You
1: operate on them or something like that. S- surgery or something? Yes. I, I'm an or anesthesiologist. Yes. But at I
2: the same time, I don't personally do anesthesia.
0: Right. But you use it in a very specific way where right. you use the ketamine in a micro dosing form, right? In I order- wouldn't
2: call it micro genie okay. if I may. Okay. There <laughs> are three populations that are really into ketamine, okay? Okay. And they use three different dosage ranges. And typically, three different routes of administration. And the route of administration is crucial. But there's the population that uses ketamine for anesthesia. And that's chiefly given uh, in the vein as a push, as a bolus. Got it. Uh, It's sometimes given as a drip, but typically it's given as a bolus.
1: Okay. I'm sorry, the word bolus means... Bolus means a
2: push. A all, lump, at a all at once. All at once. Like a it. shot, you know? Yeah, yeah an an injection. Injection. like a shot, but in a vi- syringe in a vein. Yep. An injection. Okay, yeah. Push. <laughs> got it. Got it. He's, <laughs> he's okay. making
3: tequila uh, motion. Like, like a yeah. shot. Yeah. That yeah. kind of shot, okay. too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, down the hatch all at once, okay. as opposed
2: to a beer you sip so on, right? <laughs> that's one <laughs> okay. population. Okay. Then there's another population that uses ketamine for recreation. They typically put it up their nose. Okay. Either as a powder or a dilute liquid. Yep. Um Totally different population. Uh, They use a different dosage range to achieve the effect they're looking for. Since the uh, early zeros, there's a third population, people who are treating mood disorders with ketamine. They typically give it as an intravenous drip uh, gradually over time. And this gradually over time is super important to achieving the mood relieving and suicide relieving and PTSD relieving effects we're talking about. Yes. Because other people do give it uh, in the muscle, typically associated with um, what they call ketamine assisted psychotherapy. Right. It's it's sort of different. The, The giving it intravenously is the one that's been proven to actually lift depression and uh, the symptoms of PTSD.
3: Right. And what you would call that is ketamine infusion therapy or ketamine infusion. So as far as talking about ketamine and its different applications, um, that's what we do, ketamine therapy, ketamine infusions in our clinic, strictly IV. It's really the only route of administration that's been proven by the literature. And it's not something that we made up or just discovered. I mean, Dr. Mandel is truly a genuine pioneer in this space. And uh, we were one of the first clinics to open in the U.S., been doing it six years. He's personally done over 9,000 infusions and has, I think, single-handedly probably done more than any individual out there. Um, But that is proven by Yale, Stanford, National Institute of Mental Health, UCLA, USC, um, Johns Hopkins. I mean, you name it, there's like 35 or 40 independent, placebo-controlled, crossover, right. double-blind studies. I mean, right. the height of academic research proving that ketamine infusions do work. So we see it every day in our clinic. And when I say do work, we're talking about for mood disorders here, depression, PTSD, uh, suicidal thinking, uh, as well as some chronic pain conditions that we treat, primarily neuropathic pain. But the, m- the majority of what we do in our clinic is for mood disorders.
0: Let's talk about some of these results because I'm blown away by sitting here in front of you guys having this conversation because I know so many people who have suicidal thoughts, who have who do drugs on a regular basis, who try to function with drugs because they have no other option. Yeah, they're
3: self-medicating.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in
3: your own anecdote. Right. You took up
2: smoking again. Uh-huh. What right. is that? Exactly, yeah. exactly. I couldn't Self- believe it's and a, an it. and an attempt and, the to relief, and, and the, totally appropriate, but yes, not and constructive. Yes, the 15 minutes and just <laughs> that 15 minutes
0: of nicotine, <laughs> yeah, I get something it. I was doing for myself that I... I didn't even touch for the, like the last 20 years, actually helped just that bit to get me through the day. You guys, and, and
1: I have to say though, yes, uh, like she, so she was smoking cigarettes. Like uh, She went, to, I don't know, what would a girl smoke? What was it? What it? Something, right? It depends on what, what kind of girl, right? And then she, <laughs> then, then she uh, switched over to the the jewels and the vapes. Oh, oh, God. God. oh yeah. Just yesterday, she threw hmm. it away. So it's over. Very good. The entire... Thank you, thank you. Like yes, yeah. that's it's great. It's all good now, and it's like totally different for
3: us. We all yeah. do what we got to do and what we what we can to get by and through Don't difficult times. Don't even get started times, with the being with the know, alcohol. Oh my God, yeah. the
0: alcohol I was consuming also yeah. just to go to bed, yeah. just to go to bed at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I'm lightweight perfect. compared to some of I. I have personal friends mm-hmm. who I've sat for hours listening to the same problems and not being able to offer them any help but just my support. Mm-hmm. But go- looking at them thinking, God, I wish, I wish so bad I could just literally take some of my joy and give it to you because I have such an abundant amount. I want yeah. to be able to share it. And so what you guys are telling me sounds unbelievable right now because I'm wondering, A, why don't more people know about it? B, mm-hmm. why isn't ed- FDA approved? Yeah, And I want to understand side effects. I want to understand why yeah. the controversy behind it. And I also want to tell you about the story of Thomas that I heard uh, that you helped out.
1: And I want okay. to tell love- my
0: audience about this as well. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more about this
1: and possibly a solution to anybody who's feeling depressed out there.
0: Uh, welcome back, guys. We are here with Dr. Steven Mendel and Sam Mendel to talk about this relief to depression you guys have found and have been working on, administered over 9,000 patients. I can't wait to hear the results and the stories. I know of one that I saw uh, when you helped a man named Thomas Mm -hmm. who was suffering from severe depression and PTSD and had lost two of his sons to suicide. And you administered this ketamine and his description of what he experienced to be able to now have a brain flow to process his thoughts and to work through his depression and no longer have suicidal thoughts. I I was so emotional watching this because I can't imagine the people who have this dead black wall that they wake up to every day. Um, so I'd like to understand more of some of the results.
3: Uh, you asked a lot of great questions before the break as well and I really wanna dive into that. And yes. Tom's story is phenomenal and he really is a hero in many ways. Um, I just want to take a quick moment as far as the smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol. Or, you know, a lot of people think of this as uh, some kind of separate thing from what we're talking about. But really, this is often self medicating for people who are trying to cope or deal with stress, depression. They're trying to just get some relief. And ketamine can get at the underlying issues that are uh, driving people towards those behaviors, the symptoms that they're trying to. Um, address or get relief from in a really impactful way, but it also uh, can curb addiction. And there's some very interesting research and we've seen some very interesting results with alcohol dependence, cocaine dependence for people who are trying to get sober and so it can kind of hit the issue from both sides because it can really curb cravings and help people to stop doing those things. I know a patient I was just talking to recently, Lisa, who has been very public about her her use of ketamine infusions for her symptoms. She was drinking a bottle of wine at night. She was smoking, you know, three or four cigarettes a day. It was her only alone time, her only break from life to step out and have and she has cut both of those things out because A, she's feeling really good and doesn't want to be putting things in her body that are not good for her. And also, it's really helped with those cravings. Wow.
0: Fascinating. Can,
1: can you paint a picture for me exactly what is happening when somebody steps into your clinic? Um, how do, you, do do you just administer and then they take off and leave like, a, like an opiate clinic or something like that? Or <laughs> that's is a good that, question. And too. how do you like define
0: a- what their depression is? I mean, we wouldn't want... Obviously, for, there's people who also take advantage of drugs and would also just want to jump in your chair because they just want a <laughs> shot of ketamine and not really having to go. They're yeah. not really the right patient for it because I think this is, it requires a certain severe kind of depression in order to help, or I don't know.
2: It it doesn't require enormous severity to benefit at all, and we do have people coming who really are looking for ketamine for performance enhancement. okay but uh, who are, are pretty high, pretty good at their game at this moment, but they really want to be absolute top. They want to, just like they have a coach. Yeah. But you mentioned people walking in and just wanting to experience a high. Right. First of all, the route of administration we use doesn't promote getting high. Second, we don't take walk-ins. People are screened on the telephone, and we have a consult with them. We don't charge them anything, but we quickly learn a lot about them And then we get their permission to speak with their mental health provider. So we get some additional information from the provider. But mostly what we get from the provider is confirmation that they are who they say they are. And they are bona fide depressed.
3: Yeah, and I really want to underline what Dr. Mandel said. Okay. Sometimes the you know the treatment itself can can be a pleasurable experience, or uh, but more commonly, it's a profound one. It's meditative. It's spiritual. It's enlightening. Uh, sometimes it's kind of strange or weird. It's not usually uh, f- just fun for people. And if you wanted to just have some fun with ketamine, uh, you could get it for probably a tenth of the price or even less on the street. And most of the people who are interested in that remind us of that when they say, wow, you guys are so expensive. I can get a gram on the street for 50 bucks. Well, you're not really just buying drugs from us. (laughs) You're buying a (laughs) medical treatment in a state-of-the-art facility with an anesthesiologist with a master's degree in psychology and 10 other employees in a legitimate medical building providing you with treatment with care that starts before your infusion starts and lasts long after your infusion ends. So if you're looking to just buy some powder, this
2: isn't the place to come to.
1: Right, right. Um, um, when, when you say it lifts your depression, mm-hmm. how long does this lift last?
2: The lift lasts very variably, Dennis. It can be, we have, when we say we have an 83% success rate, we mean by actual measure, people's depression indices, paper and pencil tests of depression, are improved by a score of greater than 50% for longer than three months. If people's depression is lifted, great, but it only lasts two months, they're not in the depress- the success column. So it's an average of three months with an enormous range. We have people who've had infusions two years ago and haven't needed a change in medication and haven't needed any what? boosters. Wow. And they're out two years.
0: Do you think that's because they were able to learn how to process their thoughts and function in a more positive manner because the ketamine helped kind of connect those areas that were broken, or do you think the ketamine is still in their system?
2: The ketamine is not still in their system. Right. What you said, Jeannie, is what's happened.
0: Wow! They have
2: learned to integrate the skills they've acquired into their lives. And that really is what separates the people who get three months relief from the people who get two years, but I don't want to make the people who get three months or four months wrong or bad or right, right. Or, or not.
1: It's not negligible. Yeah. It isn't yeah.
2: negligence on their part. Yes. They, however, and we don't know why some people get, by the way, two years is unusual.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Mm. Three months is typical. Yes. Okay. We get eight weeks and right. six weeks too. But we got a lot of five-month and seven-month people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when they do need further treatment, they don't need to come back for six infusions. They right. come back for two. And that usually restores the benefit completely to where it was at the end of their first series. And paradoxically, they typically get more mileage out of boosters, successive boosters than they, if they they come back after three months and they get a pair of boosters, and we get boosters now in pairs, we find it much more effective. They get four or five months, and when they come back for boosters after four or five months, they get six or seven months. And actually, the inter-booster interval tends to grow and we know this really well because we track our patients. People, they'll come in and get a treatment and go home and then we're done with them. Sam said it very well. But the words go so quickly, it may be hard to track them. We follow all of our patients so long as they let us. We've been following patients for five years. We have more data than practically anyone.
3: Yeah, I mean, we. I, I just would love to quickly jump in and say that a, a full series of treatment, and initial series, is... Uh, six infusions over two to three weeks, and the infusions are 50 to 55 minutes long, usually 55 minutes. Um, they The whole visit in the office is about two hours with kind of prep, infusion, recovery afterwards, and then people go home that day. So as far as our listeners and, and you both being able to understand a little more the logistics of that, I think it's important. And when Dr. Mandel talks about boosters, he's talking about a maintenance Program follow up care on an as needed basis. We don't do a one size fits all. We don't see everyone back in a certain time frame. We really work very hard to individualize, personalize the treatment for each patient. And so we use um, HIPAA compliant encrypted text messaging. We text people daily on a, sco- on a scale from zero to 10, where rate your mood. It charts it in a cool little line graph that the patient sees, that we see. We can share it with other providers. We use a PHQ 9 every two weeks, which is an, a standard. Uh, depression assessment, and it also assesses for suicidality. They get that every two weeks, also by text, which has way more compliance than emails. And again, they log into the secure portal to fill it out. It's only nine questions, quick and easy. Again, plots it on a line graph. We have our nursing team and Dr. Manil personally calling patients and saying, hey, how you doing? Just wanted to check in. Oh, I noticed your mood slipped a little bit this week. Is anything going on? Mm -hmm. Is it good? Or there's been a trend where it's actually slipped and stayed down for three weeks. Do you think you're in need of follow-up treatment? Can we support you in any way? So this is the level of service that we provide, and this is why we really get better results than the literature. Most of the research shows about a 70% efficacy for this treatment. With a treatment-resistant population, it's phenomenal. 70% of people who didn't benefit from anything else benefit that's unheard of. But we have 83%, and it's not because we're magicians. It's because we really personalize the treatment and we personalize and do intense follow-up and care yeah. to keep people feeling better.
0: So would you say that your goal once you administer ketamine for the first time is the office's goal to help an individual be able to experience what their brain could be at full potential of, of processing on a positive state and then getting to a place where they don't need the ketamine or I mean, for business sake, would you prefer to have somebody rely on you and have to come back? I mean, honestly, what would- would
2: Honestly- Yes. With 16 million, I don't think for a second about running out of patients.
3: Mm. We love, truly love to see people not come back.
2: No kidding. Many clinics schedule on the calendar, and I believe- that some of them really are good-hearted and they're doing that because they think that's the most effective treatment. I think you should ske- schedule boosters as needed. As needed. So yeah. we measure the need at no cost to the patient daily and we stay in touch with the patient. Yeah. And we give additional care when it's necessary. Yeah. Not when the calendar rolls around. Right, right. This is right. an amazing treatment to give. It's so satisfying. Because you really give people their lives back. Of course, of course. And not only do they get their lives back, their brothers get the benefit of them. And their husbands or wives and their employers and their children and their church and their Lions Club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They become more functional members of the community. And instead of watching the news after dinner, they have the oomph and the intentionality to go to that evening meeting, to go to the PTA, to go to the become a little league coach, all this stuff that people are held back from basically not because they're mean or they're withholding of their generosity, because they can't get it together because they're depressed. Yes.
3: I mean, what a perfect uh, beginning of this episode with Dennis, you sharing how it really affected you to see uh, what Jeannie was going through with everything, with her divorce. Yeah, and the changes true. that you saw as someone who loves her, that is happening all over in a million ways with the friends and family, employers, daughters, sons, husbands, wives, you name it, of those who are suffering. And talk about depression having an impact. Look at the impact of suicide because depression can be fatal. And 44,000 people kill themselves in the United States every year. A
2: 100- 4% of those Of that 16 million?
3: Over 144 every day. And that doesn't count the, quote, accidental overdoses where people take too much or are hoping that it's going to be the last dose they take or the car accidents that are chalked up as just an accident when somebody wants to take their hands off the wheel and just let fate have its way. And the numbers are way higher than those. And the ripple effect, and we've felt this uh, personally, of when somebody makes that decision, uh, it 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 literally impacts generations.
0: Every time I I read some despair in the news, especially these school shootings, that's the first thing I go to is is what was their mental state like? What was their obviously their home life like and their upbringing like? But always these cases of these uh, atrocities that happen in the world are they stem from some type of depression for the person to go out there and maliciously hurt themselves and other people? So I think about how ketamine if it was something that was approved and safe and not every doctor is ethical let's be honest not every doctor <laughs> do we know is like you dr Mendel, who's actually going to try to wean somebody off of being addicted to ketamine but actually just help them on the right path i mean um i'm just thinking about the changes in our world if we actually had a solution because right now um there isn't a solid solution that we've seen proven time and time again for somebody to to to, you know, be able to continue on in a, in a more positive way. So with your patients, out of the 9,000, let's say, I know that was a roundabout, but how many have you seen positive results? Have you had some patients that you could not help?
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's- I, I want to correct. It isn't really 9,000 patients. Okay. It's 9,000 infusions. Okay. Each yes. patient has six plus infusions. Got it. Okay. So it's about 2,000 patients. Okay. A little more. Thank
0: you for being accurate. Sure.
2: <laughs> And I, I want to come back to something you said before, okay. because I too would like to see FDA approval. The reality is more than 20% of all prescriptions written in the United States are written for non-FDA approved indications. In psychiatry, over 30% of all prescriptions written are written for non-approved indications. It's called off-label, just so that people mm. can have the term there. Off-label prescription is extraordinarily common. It's almost a third of psychiatric prescriptions. So although I'm very enthused about approval, what we really need, I think, or what we need even more pressingly is for insurance companies to honor their contracts with people and to say, oh, we don't pay for that. How can they be so arrogant when they've gotten their premiums to not honor a lethal illness treatment that works? Mm. It's absurd. Mm. It's outrageous. I think it's a crime. Additionally,
3: they would save money. I believe that. I haven't done, I haven't done, ran the numbers. I'm not a mathematician. Uh, I really think if you ran the numbers for the treatments that they're paying for already, that they're obligated to pay for, that are not working, that are a lot more money, the patients in and out of inpatient stays in hospitals, having to be on all these different prescriptions, uh, doctor's visits with the psychiatrist, the psychologist, this treatment, that treatment, that they're paying for already. If they allocated some resources to something that Mm -hmm. works better, faster, safer, they would save money, which is very motivating for them. So aside from the fact that it's the right thing to do, that they should do it, that it would make the country and the world a better place, they could save some money and that really interests them usually. Mm.
0: So tell me about some of the patients that have experienced the least effects of the ketamine or yeah. haven't been as helped as you would have liked.
2: We get really positive results from 83, for 83% of our patients. The literature and other clinics report between 68 and 71%. We get 83%. Well, that's a really big difference But even at the low end, that's seven out of every 10 people. In our clinic, it's more than eight out of every 10 people. That means, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really willing to share it. I can tell you all about it. I'll tell you amazing success stories. We have Yelp reviews that you wouldn't believe, except I'm sure you know Yelp well enough to know that we don't have any control over them. (laughs) But (laughs) it still means out of every 100 There are 17 or 18 who don't benefit at all. For sure. At all. Like, it just has no effect on them.
3: Well, some of them do benefit, but it's very short-lived, or it's not as significant. And so, you know, there are some people who will feel really better for a week, and that's it. Okay. There are some people who will find that they're uh, no longer feeling um, as depressed their, their function's a little better. They cleaned up that closet that was a mess and had boxes from when they moved in for two years. They finally That's put that stuff feeling. away. Good feeling, good progress. Really good feeling. But other than that, not a lot, gotcha. you know? So that exists. They're the, manor- sure. they're the sure. small minority, but that panacea. does exist.
2: Let me, let me just throw something in. Please. One of the things we've discovered is that depression and suicidality are separable. Because one of the things that does happen with some of our patients that we don't call successes, is their suicidality is relieved, but their depression returns. Mm. And when their depression returns, their suicidality, frequently, most of the time, does not.
0: I'd like that so they're way ahead, to be. but they're
2: still depressed. Gotcha, and that's
3: still a great that's success. A but I when mean, we're talking massive. about massive, I mean, and it's really fascinating. Uh, you think that those two things are one and the same? I mean. If you're depressed and you're really depressed, you're probably suicidal. And in order to not be suicidal, you need to not be depressed. I mean, that seems like the logical thing, like Dr. Mandel's, you know, funny and accurate analogy that heavy things don't fall faster. You would think they did, you know. Um, but we have seen time and time again, people don't want to hurt themselves anymore, but they still have a level of depression. <clears throat> really interesting and really, really powerful to be able to at least keep them safe in that way and to keep give them enough hope to continue right. onward to search for a longer-term solution.
0: And by the way, there are so many other elements to having a peaceful, calm mindfulness in, in your life. Yes. I mean, it's not just a shot of ketamine. No. You know, I mean, I always say... When a flower doesn't bloom, do you blame the flower or do you blame its environment?
1: Oh, that's perfect. I mean, It's oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. Think about yeah, it. Yeah, I know, love people, that.
0: Some people will maybe take a shot of ketamine, still go home and read trashy news and gossip on the internet, then hang out with a disgusting partner Let that's me... maybe not elevating them in their life at all, living in a home that's a muck and mess and having a job that's super negative. And, you know what I mean? So their environment still might be just complete crud and not allowing them to see a different side of the life and work alongside with whatever they're doing, whether it's working out or eating healthier foods or getting rid of negative people around their life.
3: We advocate for all of that, and I love that you say that because it always amazes me at how little credit people give to their environment and to those things and how much they think that a magic pill or shot or you fill in the blank is going to be enough to take care of all that, and they don't want to do the work or look in the mirror do the hard work. Now, it's not to make... Uh, you know, most depressed people out to, to be at fault for anything at all. But there are some people who are unwilling to do what they need to, to change those things. And they don't give them enough credit. I know of one patient in particular, who's drinking a bottle of liquor every day, a full fifth of liquor, and is depressed, and is actually getting better from the treatment and then saying, yeah, well, you know, I don't know how much it's really helping. And we're like, you gotta stop drinking a bottle a day. It doesn't matter what we give you, that's not good.
0: You gotta get out, get some fresh air, work out, start eating
3: some healthy food. Yes, and we're huge advocates of all that. We have an extensive aftercare guide and aftercare program with a list of like 20 lifestyle changes that people can make. And ketamine often gives people the energy and the motivation to make them. And that's one of the big distinctions that you touched on earlier when you're talking about longevity of results is if it gives people enough of a chance to feel enough relief to take those steps, which often feel impossible when you're in the throes of depression, and they actually have the resources, support, and the energy to go do it, they can really have a wonderful, long-lasting benefit. Mm,
0: That's a big one, too. Huge. I, I think it's so interesting that you said, I don't want to blame the people that are depressed, that it's their fault. But at the same time, you do have to be aware enough of what you can do in your circumstances to elevate yourself out of the things that drag you down that weigh you down
2: one of the things that the ketamine gives you is the ability to concentrate to focus and to have Mm. hope so that you could begin to make inroads Mm. in in making some of those things you described so vividly better yes you can't make them all better all at once and it can feel so overwhelming that you don't try to make any of that. Right, right. You just kind of surrender and give into it and lose all hope. Right. The ketamine restores your hope. It restores your concentration. It restores your ability to focus and to stay tuned in. Sure. And then you can start chipping away at, let's see, I can at least get the sink clean. Yep. I can at least have the table clear when i put food on it so there isn't junk on the table sure. next to the food the
0: trickle flow effect of slowly yeah. just seeing results in your life and and being proud of yourself to see your ability and your your willingness side effects mm. this is important what what side effects do we know of long term especially i know you've been in practice for 6 years but what happens 20 years from now where does the ketamine go are you Peeing it out? Like what's happening? <laughs> yeah.
2: what's, what's up with the liver? Like how? Yeah. Okay, the, the ketamine goes out of your body very quickly. The way ketamine works is by initiating a cascade of biochemical events or neurochemical events in your brain that result ultimately in actual new growth in certain areas of the brain. Wow. And this has actually been demonstrated. And that new growth uh, causes new connections and actual growth of neurons, parts of neurons, and that persists for a while, way longer than the ketamine being in your body. As for side effects, uh, there aren't any side effects. There are no...
0: No way, Doc.
2: I know, no, no way. way. There You're are not gonna no... get a
0: horse tail coming out of you like in 20 years, like come on. There's... We can
2: consider that a positive well, effect. <laughs> I, let me tell you this. When you ask about long-term side effects, No one can ever know if there are long-term side effects. Ketamine's been given since 1970. Right. We know of no long-term side effects in appropriate doses since 1970. Now it's only 50 years. Yeah. Uh, People have been around a lot longer than that. Yes. But when we look at the alternative treatments for depression, the ones involving medicines have only been around a third or a half of that time. Right. Mm. We don't know their effects either. We do know they cause obesity. We do know they, for many patients, cause a loss of libido, which really doesn't inspire people. No. Uh, We do know that they frequently give people a compressed or a zombie feeling so that they feel less depressed, but just as their floor has come up, their ceiling has come down Mm -hmm. and they feel kind of trapped.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, conventional antidepressant medications here. And it's always interesting when there's a new alternative that has great promise and everyone goes, oh, well, we don't know what's going to happen long term. And meanwhile, the drug that Big Pharma came out with five years ago, that's a brand new uh, drug that just got approved. Everyone in the world wants to take it and everyone's happy to swallow that pill every day. You know, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. I do want to say there are short term side effects and they're relatively insignificant, but I don't want to step over them. Those might last a day or two that might be. Uh, feeling a little nauseated for maybe 20% of patients during or following an infusion. Okay. Um, maybe even less than that, but definitely some nausea can happen and we can give medication to help prevent it. Uh, we ask people if they feel, you know, get car sick or motion sickness and we can kind of help with that. Um, people feel tired or fatigued following an infusion, usually just for that day. Uh, those are the two big ones. And dissociation during the infusion, which isn't really a side effect. Some people would call it that for us. Is that? Dis- dissociation. dissociation. We, we feel like it's a therapeutic benefit. And that's kind of a separation between the mind and the body. So that's just during the infusion. It starts to wear off very quickly following. Usually it's completely gone within 20 minutes. So again, really not a lasting thing and a very therapeutic thing in our opinion, but um, that's an effect of the medicine. And that's where people are actually able to get kind of an objective view of themselves, their life, their problems, their, their past traumas, uh, that they don't otherwise get that perspective because they can see things differently while they're on the medicine.
0: Right.
2: I didn't mention um, that uh, alteration and separation of mind and body, because it's a main effect, it's not a side effect. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things we're seeking. One of the things I discovered is how much medicine to give in order to get that effect. And one of the innovations I've made that explains why I have an 83% success rate in a world where people have a 70% success rate is because I changed the level of infusion, the dose I'm giving during infusions not between infusions. I'll do it between. But if patients are not sufficiently dissociated during an infusion, I adjust the dosage. I use pumps and fine-bore tubing so I'm able to change the blood level quicker than I've just taken to answer this question.
3: When he says pumps, a digital infusion pump, so a lot of people are using an IV bag for a drip for an infusion. Yeah. We use these digital pumps that can be uh, very, very precisely programmed and fine-tuned, and even during an infusion, you can p- press a few buttons and increase the rate of infusion, how quickly, how much medicine is coming out, or decrease it. And if you, this is where a little bit of the art comes in. This really is a lot of science and a good amount of art, too. And this is where having experience really goes a long way and assessing if a patient needs a little less or a little more. And we check in with them and we ask them, are you getting enough medicine? Are you comfortable? You know, his view, our medical team's view, training under him, have really gotten an excellent success rate with this assessment process.
2: One of the things I discovered and share widely as I can is there's a kind of a rapid Horizontal, or not so rapid, but coarse jerking of the eyes, mm. horizontal jerking of the eyes called nystagmus. Horizontal nystagmus is the key to the sweet spot. <laughs> and when you speak to a patient, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. A <laughs> <zone>. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's the key to the lower edge of it. You can give more than is really desirable and still have the nystagmus. It doesn't stop when you get beyond the range. But that gives you the sweet spot that you're looking for for the patient to receive maximum benefit. And many paci- many clinics are still giving the dose that they gave in the pioneering study by Zarati in 2006 and Come on, guys! It's 2020 now. Well, you know, also people
3: and in institutions, and I <laughs> have and, no idea what you just said. <laughs> well, well, what <laughs> it was, it was hilarious this, that you thought yeah. it was funny. Well, what we're saying here I'm is sorry. that in the in the research and what other clinics are doing is they have this protocol that they you know need to stick to for consistency for research, or that they need to stick to because that's what that's what the that's boss how said. they that's what the boss said. This is what we do, and there's not a lot of flexibility for deviating from that. Um, we're able to do that, so a half a milligram of ketamine per kilogram of body weight is the formula for 40 minutes yeah for 40 minutes and 40 minutes. we do a longer infusion at a slightly higher rate and we personalize it for the patient see you you start off with the weight of the patient to try to get a starting dose among other factors but that isn't where you end that's where a lot of people end That's not where we end that's not where dr mandel ends and so that distinction is really really important yeah. because you can have someone who's a tiny little woman who can take a dose that you, that a guy who's like three times her weight can't handle. So it really is very interesting. And you can't do a one size fits all. And you can't say, well, this is the weight, this is the dose. And you have to be willing to change it for a person during an infusion and from one infusion to the next. That really is a little bit of a sweet spot, as Dr. Mandel said, that we're trying to find here. Um, It's
2: important. Wow. One of the big tragedies that I'm seeing is clinics are springing up with people who are perhaps well-meaning, but not knowledgeable about ketamine, and they give it by a formula, and patients leave feeling like, well, I tried ketamine, and ketamine didn't work for me. I'm going to have ECT. Well, talk about side effects. Uh, And I'm not dissing ECT. It's It's tremendously life-saving for some patients. But to have electroconvulsive therapy before you've exhausted other less potentially damaging treatments it's just a mistake hmm. it's just sad and unnecessary and for people to be inadequately treated and conclude from inadequate treatment that this won't work for them is just terrible
3: right you know, there's a lot of different moving parts here. I just say I love coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker, and uh, you know, you have the amount of of beans or grinds that you uh, use. If you're if you're really um, like me, you'll use whole beans. You'll grind them up, right? So then you have it fresh. But you have first the amount of coffee you use. That's one variable, right? But then the the rate with which the water goes through it, and the temperature of the water. Sure. So. You know, if you take the same amount of water and the same amount of coffee, and you put the water in a cup and you just dump it over the grounds, eh, I'm not going to drink that. You know, and if you have it drip through over the course of a year, I don't yeah. know that coffee might grow something before it's done dripping. But <laughs> right, I don't right. want really in my cup either. Right. But if you get that water passing through at the right rate yes. and the right amount of grounds, yes. we're in business. I can get a lot done today.
0: Mm, I understand. <laughs> This is so helpful, guys, because once I heard of this, I I just was blown away by the actual testimonies that I heard, but also just baffled at why it wasn't more widely known or understood. So having you guys here to be able to discuss it was very important to me just to be able to understand it more and also to help my listeners at least know what's out there when it comes to options. So thank you so much for your time, you guys. Now, how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? How do any of my listeners follow up with you guys for more questions? Yeah, so-
3: Go ahead. Yeah, so we have a website. Okay. It's ketamineclinics.com, and I'll That's spell it. It's amazing website. <laughs> it's a thank really amazing. cool
0: website, guys. Get, sit back you. and get your popcorn. It's <laughs> so good to watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were on it for a few
0: hours, yes. Thank you. No we just, we yeah. just
3: launched a new version of it a couple months ago, and I'm really happy to hear that you like it. Yes. So thank you. So, Very yeah.
0: honest and forthcoming, yes. Beautiful.
3: It's K E T A M I N E. C L I N I C S dot com, dot com. Uh, lots of good info on there. And then if people want to call, we always have real people in our clinic happy to take calls and go over all the information that people need. And that number is three one zero two seven zero zero six two five. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we love to answer questions and to help people to, to sort out whether this is a good fit for them.
0: I love it. Thank you guys for coming here to spend time with us. So appreciative. Oh, I
1: think we wanted to say a disclaimer about like um, I know that we we've, we've partied and used these drugs before in the street and stuff like that. But wow, we're not endorsing it. Wow. The way he just threw me all. under the bu- the wow. way my well, brother
0: just keep shot I, I, <laughs> I, <just>, I,
1: <laughs> I just want people to understand like uh, it's, it's dangerous um, and uh, I don't want these kids to be self medicating or something. Oh like, no, for no, sure I don't not. Know how to, but I, if I gotta say, it, I don't sound uh, sounding like a hypocrite. But
0: and I also <laughs> want to say that. Um, To your point, Dennis, that we are talking about a drug here. We are talking about a drug that obviously needs to have somebody who's experienced and in practice to be able to sit here and talk about it on this level because we haven't tried it. We're not saying that it's something that we know is proven to be uh, safe, but we love being able to have actual people here who have dealt with real lives, real stories to tell us what that is about because at the end of the day, I don't want somebody to continue being depressed without feeling like there's options. And so being able to have people here in this room to talk about what ways we could do. I mean, I talk about even self-care starting there, obviously, to getting more medical help. This is important for me because I don't like anybody feeling uh, depressed and alone and to feel like that they can't find options on their own without the help of some information.
2: Dennis nailed it. You know, self-care, self-administration yeah. Yeah. doesn't work well, mm. whether whether it's ketamine or opiates or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, If you want to treat an affliction, you don't do it yourself. You can't.
3: And if I could add one thing, sure. I heard Jeannie share that she was at parties where that was around. I never heard her say that she had done it for the record. No. thank you. But thank I, you for but that. I do want and to I haven't. I'm yeah.
0: not very honest yeah. about what I've yeah. experimented with. Yeah. Never. Yeah. I've never. But you yeah. know,
3: you you never know what you're actually getting, and it's illegal, and it's yeah. dangerous, and and and. So you know, this is an anesthesiologist here with a master's degree in psychology. You're getting it in a controlled way. But I just wanted to thank you both really quickly before we ended because this is we've been very fortunate to have a lot of interviews with a lot of different people and we love to talk about this but you both brought so much energy and enthusiasm for it it was really fun it was one of the best most lively interviews we've ever had and we've been doing this a long time so thank you for your for bringing this topic to your listeners no it's amazing thank you guys yeah
0: thank you guys (laughs)